Annyeonghaseyo. Welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unnees. So hello, everybody. This is Megan. And tonight we are absent one Leah and one Amy. But fortunately, we have a guest joining us, a guest that you have met several times before. So she will uh, not be a surprise, but it is Sarah from at KDrama This on Instagram. And that's your Twitter, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I have a blog uh, there too. So hi, everyone. Yeah. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy you're back. It's so funny because sometimes, you know, I will watch dramas that like, you know, say like the other two don't want to watch. And we're like, Sarah definitely watched it. Sarah watches everything. <laughs> I know. So let's just bring Sarah on to talk about. Oh, I was so happy when your message pinged up, um, and because I think we we watched twenty five twenty one. Both of us, we watched it dropping live, didn't we? So I think we had some a few messages. So I know that you felt the same way. We will address the elephant in the room, but I I know that you felt a similar way that I did about the drama. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we talked about it live as like we were watching it. Uh, We were messaging each other because yeah, Amy and Leo weren't watching it. I was just sort of like flailing in like the feels (laughs) of 2521 all by myself. So I was like really happy that that you were watching it, which yes, that is what we're talking about today um, is 2521. But first of all, tell me how your how's your summer going? It's good. So um, we in the UK, we don't uh, break up as quickly as you guys seem to have done in the states because you guys are all on holiday already we've still got a couple more days a couple more days a couple more weeks of school um and then they don't go back till september so we get a six week summer holiday which again i think sounds like it's shorter than you guys get so currently life is good because the guys are going to school um and i'm getting um time in my day so i'm watching happiness in the middle of my day um when i'm eating lunch and stuff and then yeah they come back and bedtime whatever and then they go to sleep um but uh yeah i'm kind of yeah the k the k drama time will get cut when they stop school i know that's that's the thing once my kids get out of school my k drama time definitely got shorter which is incredibly unfortunate so wait are you watching happiness now yeah so i can only watch the deck because i'm i'm a real wuss like i'm a total scaredy cat um i can handle zombies but i can't handle them like it's now currently 20 past 10 at night and this is my my classic k-drama time and i can't watch zombies i'm sat here by myself everyone else has gone to bed so i can't do zombies at this time of the night so i'm watching it really slowly because i can only watch it in 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 the daytime but um yeah no i'm really enjoying it i'm like halfway through so yeah we had a lot of words about post army Park hyung sick like he looks so good <laughs> in this drama um i like this isn't a spoiler because in the first episode he's like wearing baseball pants yeah and i was like i could have watched a whole drama (laughs) of him wearing baseball pants (laughs) he looks so good i i i love i did really enjoy that drama you know we did a episode on it three of us did watch it and we really liked it yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm looking forward to listening to you guys like i usually do after i i like the whole full 
spoiler section and everything podcast listen yeah. after, I've, after i've watched it so yes yeah yeah good good i'm glad okay so um yeah we were saying that before we signed on that my kids have already been off school for a month and they still have another like month and a half i, like, I can't i don't i can't i hope your kid's not listening to but that, no. i would just that would just drive me insane i would it's a lot I don't know how you guys cope because also in in Europe, as you probably know, we get a decent amount of annual leave. So mm-hmm. it's it's quite common if you're in a professional role to have 25 days of leave, maybe even 30. 25. I know, right? So I don't know <laughs> how you guys end. do, and you guys get no maternity leave either, right? That's like no. another crazy thing. So for <laughs> us, like six months is 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 minimum, minimum, like minimum. Uh, but most yeah. companies will give you a year. And then I spoke to my American friends and they were like, I'm back at work already. And I was like, you only gave, oh, yeah. you only gave birth like a last month. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You push out that kid and you go back to work. Capitalism. <laughs> but um, at least we always have K-dramas. Yes. <laughs> yes, at least we always have. And um, they don't have leave in Asia either. So, you know, there's solidarity there. There you go. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> I feel like South Koreans are working. Well, they probably work harder than Americans, but they're in the same. They're that. They're on that same like you yeah, grind. Exactly. You know what I, I mean? I don't know if Korea is as bad as Japan, but in Japan you get the leave, but then you're not supposed to take it because taking leave is a sign of like disloyalty to the company and that you're not working hard enough. So statutory, like say for example, you get ten days leave, but if you take all ten days leave, they're just like what are you thinking of? Are you do you not care about your career? Like, do you not want to progress? How dare you take all 10 days? That's just crazy. It's just so crazy. That's even worse. It's like they dangle yeah. it in front of yeah. you. And then they have the weight of like <laughs> cultural expectation, like work culture expectation that you can't take it. And then in the meantime, yeah. it's like, here's a cupcake that yeah. you just have to look at and you can never have. <laughs> Otherwise you're being disloyal. So I don't know if it's as yeah. bad as that in Korea. Uh, I worked in Singapore for a while. Um, and that was two weeks leave, I think, was the. But they get more more, more public holidays to kind of, so it, it helps it a little bit. But yeah, it's. Uh, I like it in Europe. I'll travel to Asia yeah, and I America, but I'll live in Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I love traveling to Europe. I will say that. I'm probably going again. We talked about that a little bit. I can't wait. I love it there. You know, I feel like it's like. After COVID, I I traveled like a decent amount before COVID, but now I'm sort of like a total homebody again. Right. I feel like I have to get into that like I don't know like uh, you know people say like their feet start itching yeah. or what is that word like, yeah the, the travel yeah. bug they like and I feel like I have to get back. that yeah. back because I'm so used to just like being home yeah yeah <laughs> with my cats and like never leaving. <laughs> But I am excited to start traveling again. I do miss it. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, we're we've we've got air airplanes, air, air cabin crew strikes, and uh, planes are being cancelled and things. So um, I think it's making travel kind of. I mean, it's kind of in a way understandable because obviously everything just shut down over COVID. Everybody got laid off, and suddenly everyone wants to travel again. And mm-hmm. you know, there's not enough people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got back from New York and my daughter and my husband got COVID, but it was like, she felt it was like a, it was a cold. I mean, we're all vaccinated. So I think that obviously that helped our symptoms were more mild. My daughter definitely didn't feel good for two days. I mean, she was fine, but it was like, definitely. Okay. She's like, 
she has a bug and then my husband just had a sore yeah. throat and um my son and i at this point have avoided it it's so weird though like it just like picks and chooses yeah. what it wants to or what to snort it what it wants to to who it wants to infect yeah. but um anyway so i guess that's the downside of traveling so okay Let's get into what we're here to talk about, which I'm very, very excited because 2521 aired early this year, and I have been sitting on my feelings, as I'm sure you have. Oh, I think you you probably posted a review yeah, I've done a blog on it yeah. about this, right? Okay, that's what I thought, but I haven't really talked about it, and so other than like maybe a little bit on Twitter, so I'm really eager to delve in. So 2521 is a 2022 K drama directed by Jung Ji Hyun. It has a pretty standout cast with Kim Tae-ree, Nam Joo-hyuk, Bona, Choi Hyun-wook, and Lee Joo-myung. It aired earlier this year, is available to be streamed on Netflix, and was a commercial hit. It is considered one of the highest rated K-dramas in cable history, according to Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) The drama begins in 1997. Kim Tae-ree stars as Na Hido, a high school student and aspiring fencer, Nam Joo Hyuk is Baeki Jin, the oldest son of a once wealthy family who has fallen victim to the Asian financial crisis, often referred to in the drama as the IMF, International Monetary Fund, crisis. His family is split apart and he's hounded by creditors. According to the show description, the two meet at 18 and 22 and fall in love at 21 and 25, hence the title of the drama. So this drama features a lot of fencing, some amazing friendships, and a romance or two that had a lot of people rooting for a happily ever after. So first, I did want to give a slight description of the IMF crisis because it played a huge part in the drama, and I personally wasn't familiar with it. So in case you weren't either, you know, listeners, I'm going to sum this up very briefly because I doubt you came to a K-drama podcast to hear about economics. (laughs) The Asian financial crisis, which began in 1997, originated in Thailand when the bot collapsed. This had a domino effect in much of Asia, including South Korea. When the won, the South Korean won, dropped in value, many chaebols, like Baekje Jin's father, who had borrowed large amounts of money, were forced to declare bankruptcy. The IMF approved a bailout that restructured the country's economy. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, let's get to the fun stuff, which is the drama. We're going to discuss it without spoilers first, and then we'll let you know when we switch the spoiler section. So first of all, what do we think about the title of the drama, which is 2521, as well as the promotional materials such as the drama posters? Were they misleading, and did they give us certain expectations? Yes, so for me, uh, this is a great question, by the way, um, listeners will get an advantage if you haven't seen the show that I didn't get going into this drama. So I was really, like you, I was really looking forward to this drama because I love Kim Tae-ree from Mr. Sunshine. And I also liked Nam Joo-hook, mainly from weightlifting fairy Kim Bok-joo because I wasn't a massive startup fan. But um, the promotional pictures looked like it was a happy, perky, light adult rom-com. And, um, and that's what I... I felt like I wanted that at the time when that was the mood I was in, like it was the beginning of the year, right? And it was kind of felt like a bit heavy. Um, but actually what we got was more of a high school coming of age drama. And they got this amazing actress, right? Kim Tae-ri is in her thirties, but she spends 
a huge part of this drama, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say, still in high school. Um, and so all the way through, I kept having to adjust my expectations of what this drama was going to be about. Um, because really, for me, if I was to classify it, it's definitely not a rom-com which is what the prom- the poster promised me. It's actually more of a coming-of-age drama and then perhaps a sports drama and then it's romance. So for those who watch this drama from afresh, they'll know the kind of drama they will be letting themselves in for and not need to adjust. And um, yeah, I, I think they might then enjoy the journey a bit more in some ways than I did because I kept having to, to make that adjustment. Actually, I think you guys could do a mini snack on the most misleading K-drama posters, because I think there's a lot of them. <laughs> I think it's really common, for example, to paint something as like a lightweight rom-com with lots of pastel colours and make it really um, perky and light and bright. So for me, exam- uh, Suspicious Partners, for example, like I just saw it because it's Ji Chang-wook's birthday today. So happy birthday, Ji Chang-wook. <laughs> oh, happy birthday, JCW. <laughs> and, um so people are kind of recycling his drama. So it's basically, I don't know if you remember, like this, this poster of him going, oh, looking really like shocked. Uh, the poster's all pink. And he just looks really goofy. And the drama has a pretty solid serial killer, right? That's a lot of spoiler to say it. <laughs> right. and, and JCW himself is just super, super grumpy. Like very appealing because of it, but super grumpy. Mm-hmm. He's not goofy at all. So yeah, you guys need to, you need to give a snack on that misleading K- the most misleading k-drama posters of all time i love that and i agree because you are spot on about the suspicious partner poster because i remember people kept telling me to watch it uh, like you know early in my k-drama watching days and again when you like search these dramas the first thing that comes up is the poster a lot of times the trailers especially for like older dramas they aren't um they don't have subtitles if you look for them on youtube so like to a degree if i'm like an english-speaking drama watcher i kind of really only have the poster yeah. to go on and you're right the suspicious partner poster just looked like this like kind of silly light rom-com and i was like eh. but then it was ev- the drama was everything that was up my alley and if i felt it would have been represented better i would have yeah. watched it sooner and even like i think about i am not a robot poster it's just so boring yeah it's just like them smiling next to each other and i just think of all the things they could have done with like the umbrella and i'm not a robot like they just could have done so many things i don't get it yeah they need to hire us (laughs) for poster (laughs) for poster creation but um so i agree with you about 25 21 and this isn't a spoiler like this is just giving you facts and proper expectations they are 18 and 22 for most of the drama I would say like three quarters of it, maybe even more. Um, They are not, I know it's called 2125, but they are 2125 for a very short amount of the drama. And I thought, like I thought because of the title of the drama, I'm like, okay, they're going to be adults. I'm watching an adult, I'm going to be watching adult romance. And it, it wasn't. I mean, she is 18 for most of it, which in Korea, that's underage. So that's another thing. I mean- there was nothing wrong with this like lovely kind of like friendship that they developed. But again, that's not what I expected. And I kept, I remember like every time an episode would come out, there'd be people on Twitter going, when is the, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. When are, when is she going to like be of age? And when is the romance actually going to start? And it, you know, it took a while. And so, yeah. And the, and the title, 
is about yeah. the romance because the title is about their ages when they fell in love. And I agree with you in saying that the drama, I think, first of all, is coming of age. And then I would say it's like a sports drama and then a romance. I mean, I don't even think that the romance is the most powerful part no. of the drama. I mean, I yeah. So I do wish that I would have had more appropriate expectations. I really wish that this drama had been promoted as coming of age. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, because Nahito herself is an incredible character. One of my favorite K-drama characters of yeah. all time. And so... Just give me her and just promote her, you know? Yeah, so, so with you on that. This was like, for me, this was the one of the interesting parts about the drama is learning about fencing because <laughs> this was, you know, a pretty big part of the drama is her like fencing journey. I knew nothing about it. So how about, did you know anything about fencing before 2521? And would you consider this a sports drama or how did you look yeah. at it? So this is another thing, obviously, the poster doesn't tell you. I think there is a little bit of a this, this kind of things flying out the bed. But anyway, nothing about the poster tells you that it's a sports drama. But for me, this definitely is a sports drama. But I'm someone who doesn't really like sports drama. So I really want to be here to pitch to you that even though it's a sports drama, please don't let it put you off because it's not front and center of this drama. But it is definitely a very large part of it. But it's done for me really brilliantly. So all of the it really highlights the pain and the commitment it takes to be an athlete uh, and what it can mean to your friends and family and the sacrifices you need to make, as well as the drama of the matches itself, um, the balletic beauty of fencing itself. So so fencing, I know I know very little about fencing. Um, but the only thing I knew about fencing before 2521 um, was there was a bit of drama actually involving a South Korean fencer who controversially lost a match by a split second and she didn't leave the fencing strip for an hour. So she like staged a protest on the strip and it took the judges an hour to adjudicate against her. And she thought she'd made it just in that last split second, I think it was 5-5, she'd made it to the gold medal match and she was kind of about to celebrate but then something with the clock I don't get fencing rules they're really complicated aren't they anyway so something happened with the timer and it flipped and then the court uh, the judges adjudicated it took them an hour to decide that actually she didn't get it so her opponent actually won and made it to the gold medal match and then she had to go and do the bronze medal match pretty much straight after this quite traumatic thing that had happened to her um and she lost Uh, and she left without a medal and and that happened in my home olympics in london 2012 which is why i i know it because i was absolutely obsessed with those games because they were happening just down the road from me when i lived in east london which is the only thing i know about fencing oh wow well thank you for sharing that story because i hadn't heard of it that was really interesting so I'll admit the fencing was like never interesting to me. And I don't mean it in a negative way. It's just, I would say in America, it's not a super popular yeah. sport. So I was actually a little like, Ugh, it's a, it's a sports drama. Cause I heard that Kim Tae-ri was a, was playing a high school fencer. And I was like, I don't know, but man, this drama actually kind of made me love fencing. Like I, you're right. There's like this balletic, um, that's the word yeah. you use, right? Like uh, aspect to it it's a really beautiful sport so i you know there's an art to it that fascinated me and i really loved how kim tae played nahito yeah. as an athlete so i remember seeing something on twitter that it was amazing to see a female athlete yell 
and scream and be competitive because Nahito, when she would like score a point, she'd like whip whip her helmet off and she'd go yeah. like, ah! like she'd kind of like growl out that aggression that's so usually coded as masculine. So it was really cool to see her just be herself in that moment. And I think a lot of times female athletes are still expected to be like, demure and subdued. There's a huge row in 1999 when Brandy Chastain of the United States women's national team with the soccer team in America took off her jersey to celebrate a goal in the World Cup final. And there's an image of her, you know, in her sports bra on her knees celebrating. And it caused like a big ruckus at the time. Like people were like, oh my gosh, was that okay that she took off her shirt? Like she showed a sports bra. Like (laughs) I remember it was like in 1999 that was, you know, I guess risque, which is crazy. Um, But anyway, my point is that, you know, the same as yours. If sports dramas aren't for you, I really hope this doesn't deter you. Because I think at the core of 2521, it's a coming of age drama. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I agree with you on the the coded masculinity of, of how they should behave because i think i mean we're we've got wimbledon going on at the moment uh in the uk um and uh you know at the height of her popularity and her dominance of the sport serena williams and her kind of like yelling when she's like hitting the ball and all the the tabloidy newspapers would just paint her as this you know and it was obviously there's a lot of racism in in the way they paint her but you know this kind of like aggressive amazon of a woman that's you know actually probably maybe shouldn't even be playing female tennis you know because she's that that a, a male and that aggressive um so yeah it's funny you mentioned serena so i was gonna say that is also who i thought of when i saw kim tae yell i was like i feel like she's like it really did feel like that's giving validation to not that serena williams need validation but it was like look this is okay that female athletes like express and are loud and why can men like roar and women can't after like, you know, especially because Serena Williams is such a dominating yeah. athlete. So I completely agree. Um, So who had a standout performance for you? So it has to be Kim Terry. Like she is just, she is amazing in this drama. She really is. And like I said, I first saw her, but my only role that I've ever seen her in this was in Mr. Sunshine, where she plays, obviously, Goe Shin, uh, a noble lady, the epitome of elegance. Um, and here she's, she's so completely different. You know, obviously she looks the same, but the character is so completely different. And I love the physicality she brought to the role. So she had a really distinctive way of walking like she she was she was not yes. in any way demure and this is the thing so i think i, I might have spoken to this about before but you know when i was growing up i mean i'm so i'm british chinese for those of you who don't know um my parents are from hong kong and my mum my poor mum failed i mean she valiantly tried but she failed to try to make me be uh more demure and more graceful <laughs> and <laughs> You and me. I feel like, yes, I feel you there. That kind of epitome of elegant, graceful, uh, you know, Asian female that, that, that she really thought like a Chinese girl should be. Um, and I, and there's a part of me that just, I wish that I could have seen a Kim Tae character, a Nahido, when I was growing up and see, you know, how she could be the main lead of a drama because so many of my dramas growing up were, um, you know, really beautiful 
really elegant and pretty Chinese actresses and and they all you know they did not scream and they didn't romp about and they didn't kind of you know she she really was just bouncing everywhere um and she just really there was this brilliant fight scene right do you remember the fight scene with the umbrella like oh my god I love that I loved it (laughs) she takes on these uh these high school kind of bullies I guess with an umbrella but obviously they don't realize she's a fencer and she just absolutely slays them um it's just brilliant and so she, yeah, for me, she totally deserves. So she won the Bexton Award for for Best Actress for this role, um, and she totally deserved it. Um, and and for me, there are probably things that won't appeal to you about this drama when you hear some of the basics. Um, but I just genuinely think, for her performance alone, it's worth investing the time to watch Twenty Five Twenty One. It's that good. I want to second that so much kim tae is incredible and it was funny because i so i started twenty five twenty one, and then i took a break to watch mr sunshine <laughs> so i had first met and kim Ta- so twenty five twenty one. the first few episodes was the first time i've ever seen, seen kim tae okay and then i took a break and started watching mr sunshine and i was like what like how is this the same actress how she's so incredible i mean she's just incredible and then i finished Mr. Sunshine went back to 2521 and then I kind of like caught up and was watching it live and I'm like I'm blown away like I, she is just incredible she can do anything and I agree with you she kind of had this way that she ran yeah. as well that was this kind of like bouncy step that was just like Nahito like no one else is gonna you know what I mean it was incredible Okay, so she is my top performance, but since you mentioned her and then I also <laughs> talked about her, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention someone else and I'm gonna go with Bona. She um played Ko Yu Rim. So we'll get more into who Ko Yu Rim was, but essentially she was like a a rival. Nahito idolized her, and then they were kind of enemies, and then they were friends. It's we'll talk about that relationship because it's incredible. But I loved Koyurim. So usually the main character of a sports movie. So essentially Nahito, because she's the main character. So she's usually that is the character who's like kind of a scrappy underdog from a less privileged family who has to overcome odds and yada yada yada. But in this drama, Koyurim was actually kind of the underdog who was from a poor family. She had battered fencing gear. So it's interesting that they didn't set her up to be this like rich rival you knew right away that they were they were really delving they were really giving this character depth and i love that because it definitely felt fresh and different and didn't didn't paint her as kind of like a one-sided like villain um and i just thought her performance was wonderful she was complicated and human and also selfless and i just i really loved her character and i loved how bona played koyurim yes so I've got a question for you. Your co-hosts haven't watched 2521. So if you were going to do a sell for them, um, given that uh, there are things about this drama that might not be so appealing, how would you how would you sell them on this drama? So I think the way I would get them to watch this is I would say it's a coming of age drama that actually does have some slice of life elements, I would say, um, especially towards like the middle And then I would also probably tell them that it has one of the best female friendships, which I know we're going to talk about that, but one of the best female friendships and kind of like core friend cast 
that I've ever seen. And the depth it gives these friends is standout. Like, I remember watching this drama and I'm thinking this is going to be my top drama of, like, yeah. the year. You know, we'll get to why it's not, but I would still say that there are so many reasons it's worth it. it, it there were so many heartwarming moments. Would you? What would you say to that question? Yeah, I would agree with what you said. Uh, and definitely the female friendship here is one of the best uh that I've seen in K-drama because it's really real and it's really authentic and, and really, really well done. Um, but also, I know you cried, I cried, right? So there are moments when mm-hmm. it, the, it, the feels, the feels this drama gives you, uh, they're, they're big, you know, and, and it's worth getting invested in these guys' lives. And, um, and there are funny moments. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, um, there are obviously we're not going to go into them now because they're safe for the spoiler sections. There are reasons why people might have seen on on social media or Twitter or, or K drama that there are reasons why people were like, "Ah, oh, I'm so annoyed about this drama," um, and I have mm. complete sympathy with that. But that still doesn't that still means it doesn't mean that the rest of the drama isn't worth investing the time in because it is it is amazing as much as some people got frustrated with some of the things that happened. Yeah, I'm still so glad I watched it. Yes, absolutely. Me too. Because there's so many good parts about it that that did end well, and like ended properly, I guess, for me, in a way that left me satisfied that I'm... Because every time I think about some of the, the scenes, especially among the friends, my like I get warm. Yeah. Like, I get happy. You know what I mean? Even just remembering some of those moments. And isn't that like what a good K-drama does to you? Where you like remember things fondly? Um, So. And now we are going to get to our favorite segment, which is K-pop Wreck of the Week. And this week we have Sarah. Yeah, I'm using my chance to crush (laughs) this section as well. So, but I promise you, you're going to like it because it's an NCT. (laughs) It's an NCT one. You know, I love my NCT. (laughs) So I've been trying to get fit, like many people, you know, we put on the COVID weight um, and I don't have an Oculus Supernatural. In, we don't have that in the UK yet. So that is not a thing for us. But I have been doing Just Dance on the Nintendo Switch. So I'm not sure if you know this or you've done it before, but they have actually got a quite good mini selection of K-pop tracks on there. So there's uh, no BTS, unfortunately, but uh, there's Blackpink, there's Psy, there's the To Anyone track that they used in Mr. Queen on the OST. Um, and, and I don't know about you, Megan, but for me, despite being firmly, firmly an Ajuma, I still fantasize, fantasize that I could knock out a K-pop dance routine, right? I mean, yeah, I totally can't. And this game proves that it, that, it, that I can't, but it's very, very good fun. Uh, to try. So they have uh, Bang 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 by Big Bang too, which is like I know a previous K-pop rep of the week of yours, and that's really great fun to dance with. But my current favourite is NCT's Kick It, um, which is the one with Bruce Lee. Um, uh, and mainly because it's a little bit slower, and I can actually dance it. Um, but that would be my current uh, K-pop rep of the week. And for anyone who has a Switch and has Just Dance, I really recommend it. Give it a go. Uh, it's a lot of fun and it does burn, burn the calories while letting you live your K-pop dream life. 
I just love that pick because NCT 127 Kick It is one of my favorite songs. I adore it. And the video is just so fun. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoona Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, blow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. So we are now going to move into the spoiler section, which, you know, we've been dying to do since we started tonight. Uh, yeah, which means we can talk about the drama around the drama, which is the romance between Nahido and Beiki Jin. Or in genre fiction terms, I'd call it a love story. Because this drama does not have a happily ever after for the main couple. So there you go. There's your big spoiler. (laughs) Some found the ending to their story realistic. Others found it kind of upsetting, emotionally manipulative. Pick Pick your words. So let's get this out of the way and discuss whatever we need to get off our chest about Nahito and Beiki Jin. Were you feeling this love story? And what did you think about their ending? Oh, I have so much to say about this topic. I'm so glad this came first. (laughs) (laughs) I knew, I was like, you know what? There's no point in talking about the drama until we talk. You know what I mean? I was like, we got to get it out of the way. We have to get this off first, Jess, right? So true. But firstly, I just want to make clear that I am not the kind of K-drama watcher that can't handle anything but a happy ending. Um, I know some people are, and I'm I'm not dissing you if that's your kind of thing, but I personally don't need them in order for me to enjoy a drama. And I've had some of my favorite dramas didn't have happy endings or had unconventional happy endings. Um, But they have to make sense sense to me. So if I've got to the end and I agree that this is the only real satisfactory way that this drama can end and it not a happy ending, happy ever after, I can deal with that. But the writer has to gradually lead me to that point, And I've got to finish the drama feeling like I'm sad it was not a happy ending, but I get it. You can't just drop it on me out of nowhere in the last two episodes. And actually, I'm so annoyed with this precisely because I did really, really love their love story. I actually really thought it was really really well told and I actually love the real slow build up and I and that's kind of how I came to because I remember I think I chatted to you about about episode 11 or 12 going like she's still in high school like what time does she become 21 because I was like I just I just want this love story to start because I felt like they had I thought what she was doing the writer was doing was building it very slowly and organically uh, and so getting our buy-in um 
to, to, to their love story and I actually kind of reconciled myself to like, okay, so maybe she's just going to be a high school student for a lot longer, but at least I'm getting this build up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, and, and we saw them help each other and become a better version of themselves with each other. And they were there for each other. Um, then I can't reconcile myself to their ending at all. So for me, it just didn't make narrative sense. Like they had 14 brilliant episodes where they built a structure together. They overcame stuff and then dealt with, you know, things outside of like externally and internally that were far greater than just physical distance. And then at the end of this drama, we're supposed to believe that this structure, this this relationship, this love that they have got together can't overcome a little bit of storm and a little bit of rain and a little bit of distance. Um, so that for me is just not, it's just not what the narrative of the drama built. And ultimately that's why I can't, I can't reconcile myself to this jo- uh, ending and I can't enjoy it because for me that's not how the story was shaped. Um, and I get that and I actually got into some Twitter battles with people on this ending because <laughs> uh, I was just so like I needed to go on Twitter and just vent. And and I really get that. Like for some people, they were saying like, you know, uh, this this ending is really great. It's really realistic and um, true to life because this kind of thing happens, and you don't always end up with your first love. It's young love, and and I totally agree. That is definitely can be the case. But this for me is not. It's just not how they built the story up. Uh, yeah, so I, I want to say I agree with you. Despite being a romance writer, I don't always need a happy ending. And yeah, some of some of my favorite dramas do not have a happy ending, or they have one that maybe is more happy for now or something. So yeah, more of an unconventional ending. And, and I'm okay with that. Um, I basically agree with you that the drama really gave us all the common romance storytelling beats. So when we reach the climax that we expected them to to overcome they just didn't and there wasn't even necessarily to me like a very good reason i felt a bit like i was being like emotionally manipulated to cry when i didn't even think it was even necessary and so i mean here's the thing too for most of the drama there wasn't really a romance nahito and beiki jin were friends and it was a really cool friendship so i started thinking maybe around the middle of the drama well like i'm okay if there's no happy ending because i'm not i wasn't necessarily fully invested in them as a couple at that point but then the back half of the drama like maybe the four the last four to five episodes maybe more the drama really focused heavily on the romance so they they got me completely invested in watching these two form this solid foundation only to just like let it fall down but since we'd seen this foundation be laid so carefully brick by brick that the crumbling of it to me didn't make sense like i was like it was just uh, where did this come from like there was no like there's it almost felt like this deus ex machina where there's like this random tornado that like blew down their their <laughs> building that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, so I just I just didn't feel like giving them this non happily ever after made sense. And I guess it was I guess I would say one of the reasons it made me the most angry too is the drama was so freaking good. And I almost feel like too I would have been okay with them not having a happily ever after if I felt like they made it make sense like you're like you said if they w- would have built up the narrative to give them kind of like a proper reason yeah. for breaking up yeah. or whatever not just like distance it was just weird and it just stinks because i always say this about writing is that 
you know, in my book, sometimes I can have plot points that maybe not all readers necessarily agree with. But if I give them a really good ending, and I give them almost like a sickly sweet epilogue where everyone's really happy, they forgive you, you got to leave them with the feeling you want them to carry forward. So like, I'm not really sure what the drama was trying to tell yes. us. Like, I don't really know what I was supposed to feel. Yeah, what it was actually Like, saying. I was just supposed to... F- yeah, was I just supposed to feel nostalgic about a first love? Yeah. But then that just... I don't know. It was just a weird, weird way to end yeah. it, is basically all, I guess, I think we're both saying. So, I mean, I, I read this Tumblr blog. Um, so I'm gonna... Um, if you haven't watched La La Land, and you don't want it spoiled for you, um, maybe just skip. Oh, skip. I haven't seen it, but I don't care. Okay, right. So in La La Land, uh, there is uh, a central couple, and they get together quite early in, in the film. And then what they do is the opposite of what happened in 2521, right? They So they show you subtly all the reasons why they don't really work as a couple. And so ah. they kind of take away... So this blog kind of, uh, it compared it to Jenga. So they showed you, showed them they were taking away Jenga blocks of their relationship all the time. So by the end of the movie, what felt like it was going to be like La La Land, like this happy romantic drama, um, they're not together anymore. The central couple end up not being together. But mm-hmm. you are okay with that because actually the, the, the movie has shown you very subtly and, and done really well all the reasons why they don't work together. And they the blog then compared it to 2521 as saying they did the exact opposite they just showed us all the time like all of the reasons why these two were great together and then they go but uh then they're not together anymore and you're like what that wasn't you know that wasn't what you that wasn't what you built that was not the narrative you built and and for me yeah. that was like really like i read the blog and i was like spot on this is like so spot on this is exactly how i feel about this relationship i want it kind of reminds me of the movie 500 days of summer is it 500 Days of Summer? Something like yeah. that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but sort of similar to that, you have this couple who gets together, but then you slowly see them like they just it's not working and it ends with them not together. But I felt satisfied watching that movie because you feel like, OK, they had a really beautiful love, but you're right. They're not meant to be together. Whereas Biggie Jin and Nahido felt like soulmates. Yes. And then they're just like <laughs> not together. And you're like, OK, like. Oh, it's just weird. It was. And it wasn't even for like, I still don't even really know why they're not together. It's like, yeah, it wasn't even right? properly explained um, to me. Because <laughs> they almost still felt like they were pining for each other. Yeah. And that's why I was like, well, then what? I don't get it. It's just weird. So we get most of the story in flashbacks from Nahido's daughter, Kim and Shay, as she reads a younger Nahido's diary. Min Shae's father is not identified for much of the drama. So did you like this storytelling choice? I have quite strong views about this. I did not like this at all. Uh, and it actually yeah. made the ending worse for me as well, because they tried, they did it. I just don't, I just didn't get why we had the older Nahido and her daughter. Um, I felt like it was there to signal to us really on, on in the drama that there is no happy ever after for her and Becky Jin. I, I originally thought they were she was putting it in to then kind of like w- kind of whip the tablecloth out from under us and kind of like say, da-da, you thought it was not going to be a happy ever after, but there is! You know, so I thought that's where she was right. going with it. I know what um, you mean, yeah. But actually, no. Like, she was like a red herring. 
<laughs> I thought it was a red herring. I thought she was she because she she told us you know in the first episode he's not the father of this 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 young girl right so we know that uh, that's mm-hmm. not who she ends up with um, but I thought it was a red herring. But one of my biggest bugbears in this whole uh, narrative choice is also that the adult Nahido of the drama is just nothing like actual Nahido. Um, and the same thing happened for me in Reply 98, right? So adult Duxun is just not Duxun at all that we know. She just, they seem to be completely different people. Um, and then I was, I was also really annoyed by the mismatch between the contemporary narrative and the historical narrative. So, um, you had this, for example, they took that really memorable trip to the beach, right? Um, so, uh, you know, they'd explain to us that because they were athletes, they never got to go on school trips. And so uh, uh, Becky Jin took them out for a school trip and they had a really amazing time. And then, and took all these photos that then appear in vignettes all the way through the rest of the drama, like these photos that they took from this day trip to the beach. And then later, you've got a nice, like, the older Hido basically says, oh, she barely remembers that, that time. Um, which in itself just doesn't ring true because, you know, I'm, like I said, a, you know, properly, solidly Arjuma territory. And I'm, I have, I'm old enough to have that perspective on my youth. And actually some of those memories from my younger times are way more precious than, and I can barely remember what I did last week, but I could tell you in detail some of the stuff that, you know, happened to me when I was young, right? And it just, mm-hmm. for me, also runs counter to what the drama is telling you about. This is like the saying that this come the magical part of the coming of age, you know, that highlight and celebration of that period of your youth um and and we're just again for those people who said well it's realistic like when you get busy and you get uh, to become an adult and you have other worries you don't sit there and think about your youth and i'm like well yeah but this is not a realistic drama about the drudgery of daytime life and you know it's not like for example i think go back couple is one of the best k dramas that did paint that kind of this is the drudgery of having children yes. and this yes. day in day out like monotony of it but that was not this what this drama was doing right that wasn't this wasn't the story it was trying to tell so like the first mm-hmm. ever school trip that they took um is something she totally forgot i'm just not buying it at all sorry very mm-hmm. annoyed with that mm-hmm. then on the mystery husband so again because like i'm watching this dropping live so i've got all of these like theories about how it's gonna end up right so i thought maybe they're saving this for like a really cracking cameo right they're gonna save like some mm-hmm. really amazing actor to be nahido's husband so that finally i'm going like well okay so she didn't end up with becky jane she didn't choose namju hook she chose this guy you know this this superstar cameo and there was this april fool going around um that it was going to be a gong yu cameo yeah and i knew it was april fool's day so i was like you know, it's probably an april fool but i was like maybe maybe it could be gong yu um but alas it's not gong yu right we just instead have this massive hole in a space that was meant to be her future like this was the guy she chose instead of trying to make it work with Becky Jin and we don't even know who he is um um yeah that for me was just a real letdown yeah and so one of the big reasons they broke up was because there was going to be some there was going to be distance like Becky Jin was going to be in New York or he was going to be really busy with this job and she but her current husband as an adult like he's nowhere to be found he's like away on a business trip the entire drama and i was like well then what was the freaking point like i don't understand like he's not there precisely because also part of her kind of childhood trauma right was the fact that um her mum wasn't there like her mum wasn't around and part of the reason we're given um for her 
wanting to, well, feeling like this relationship had to end was that she was tired of not having someone around for her and being mm-hmm. by herself. And then, yeah, we basically, there's no husband. Uh, she has, basically, she's, yeah, by herself. she's by herself. <laughs> she has an estranged relationship with her mum still. She has an estranged relationship with her daughter. And, uh, and so she's by herself. It's just, yeah, I didn't like, I didn't really like adult Nahito. I really didn't. I was like, this isn't the Nahito I know. Like, I don't, I'm sorry. That didn't, that didn't gel at all. And look, <laughs> the storytelling decision to have her daughter read her diaries about her teenage love story and have her daughter basically rooting for a man to be with her mother that wasn't her father. Because essentially, like, Kim and Shay is like, She's reading these diaries and she's super in she's almost like us as a, as a as a viewer, okay? So she's like rooting for Becky Jin and her mother and it's like yeah. really weird. Like would I be reading my mom's diary and like rooting for her and her high school boyfriend? Was not that weird? And so I just felt like that was just a really I just don't I just found it really strange. And when I realized what yeah. was happening, well, it was it even be kind of weird for her to be like super invested in their teenage love story yes. of her parents in a way. Like, I guess I just like that was just a really weird decision to have the daughter be so involved in these like diary entries of like her mom's first kiss. And like, you know, yeah, that's that is a really good point, because actually, I think it's it's actually really icky when you think about it. Right. I mean, it's like. Yeah, I mean, it's you like just, you always remember. It's like it's like it's like that time when you when you realize in your life like how babies are actually created, and then you realize like your parents actually did it. Like you know, for me because I've got a brother at least twice, and you're just like, oh my god, this is the most horrific thing ever, and you just want to then try and erase this like image you've got in your brain, right? So why right? did you then want to read your parents like loved and, and she obviously through the drama you saw she wrote everything down right these were like proper diary entries um yeah it's just <laughs> it's a really good point because i had it was it was just a weird decision to tell the story that way and, and again it kind of goes back to like what they just if they would just would have marketed this as like a straight coming of age i would have been I, I you know i think i would have been more forgiving of some of these things well not the this story they should have just not bothered with this whole flashback thing yeah yeah i think i never really love how they age up like and like i feel like they could have aged up kim tae couldn't they like why did they have to give kim tae yeah. in her 30s so why are they putting this like other woman who didn't even match the younger yeah. nahito that's you know so I mean? true yeah because i mean Give her some like makeup and some wrinkles. Well, actually, she the the mom didn't even have wrinkles. So why did I? <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, I hadn't you thought know? about that. But that, exactly because yeah, obviously, um, Hayrison was really young, so you didn't want to be able to age her. But yeah, you're right. I mean, why have uh, an actress that's in her thirties play, as we said, you know, an eighteen year old for the bulk of the drama, but then not think well she could also easily be, you know, forty five, fifty, however old Nahido, old adult, old was was at right. that point. But. Yeah, and see, I think that and that's also why I, okay, I knew I knew they casted Kim Tae-ri. Um, she doesn't look 30, obviously, but I, I knew she was. So I was like, okay, yeah. that's why they casted an adult. She's not going to be young for very long. And then <laughs> she was. <laughs> she was 18, like the whole I time. mean, she was a brilliant 18, <laughs> and she totally deserves her award for, for, for playing a brilliant, brilliant 18. But, oh my god. Yeah. I mean, I fully believe she was a teenager the whole time. I was like, how... Oh, her performance is amazing. And actually, so 
to, to now to talk about something positive, uh, very positive. One of the best relationships in this drama, which we mentioned a little earlier, is arguably the enemies to friends arc between Nahido and Koyu Rim. So Koyu Rim is an Olympic gold medalist for the South Korean fencing team. Uh, and Nahido idolizes her. When they meet, Nahido expects to form kind of like a mentor-mentee relationship, I think, with Koyu Rim, but instead uh, she's hostile. And we later find out that Koyu Rim feels threatened by Nahido. They have some great moments as like bitter rivals, but eventually they form a close friendship that's just incredibly, truly special. So what did you think about this relationship arc and did it hit you in all the feels? Yeah, I think I think this is hands down one of my favorite female K female friendships in K dramas ever. Which is quite a statement because I actually think K dramas do really great female friendships. Um yeah. and I liked when it started it was all them being competitive and pitching them uh, uh, well sorry when it did start and it was all combat combative and pitching them against each other as rivals i was like oh here we go classic girls versus girls trope and then we're gonna see them be mean to each other and be competitive with each other but then actually then we saw them unknowingly messaging each other on uh via i don't know like an early version of chat right um and <laughs> being becoming each other's crutch and I'm someone who's like, so I'm Gen X. I built some relationships via text chats only, right back in back in the day, and it really gave me some kind of nostalgic feel for how you can, how special it can feel for someone to be at the end of a chat that you can burden yourself to. That's not, you know, it's like somebody that you're speaking to face to face, but they're kind of there all the time, like you, you chatting to them, um, and then I began to feel that actually the competitive relationship they had at the start was also quite real and true to life. Um, neither of them were trying to be likable to each other. They were just telling it as it was. And then I really loved the scene, the K-drama, they, they flipped the K-drama trope where they had a blind date to meet each other. Um, and I thought that was such a brilliantly done scene, um, you know, where they both had, like, they, they were clutching a yellow rose and they were expecting to... <laughs> meet each other oh, it was so and then, and then obviously um Yurim ran away but I just mm -hmm. I just loved how then the show showed them as friends and that they could be authentically themselves with each other and despite their very different personalities uh and very different fencing styles um that they had a real true connection and love with each other so and I I know that for some people actually this is the love story of the drama and i would i would have a lot of sympathy with that view so yes. yeah so ultimately i'm just really glad that we didn't have two girls bitching over a guy kind of story this was so not who they were um so thank you k drama writers for for not going down that well-trodden and boring path yeah, because you're right. In a way, at the beginning, I thought that they were setting up a love triangle because uh, Yu Rim and Baeki Jin uh, knew each other, you know, before yeah. the drama started. They have a little bit of a past as friends. But I thought that they were setting up a love triangle. And then when they didn't take it that way, I was so freaking happy. And 100% that this relationship is why I will always recommend this drama. It was one of my favorite female friendships in all of K-drama, I mean, maybe even my top. I mean, we have um, an episode of our favorite uh, female friendships, and I haven't hadn't watched this this drama obviously before that, but I would 100% would have talked about yeah. that in in that episode. 
they really understood each other and their friendship was just so real and it was really kind of cool because then towards the end of the drama they had almost like settled into this really comfortable bestie thing and uh, you know what I'm, I'll be straight up I would have been fine if this drama would have been enemies to friends to lovers seriously if it was sapphic I would have been like totally fine i mean if this would have been the romance of the whole drama i would have been i would have been down <laughs> i actually think they had better chemistry together actually i think than, they did too than um kim Terry and namju hook yeah the way oh my god the way it started you know their first kind of like interaction so they don't go to the same high school and that's actually like a big part of the drama is that Nahito is trying to get kicked out of her high school so she can be transferred to Koyu Rim's high school because she wants to like essentially practice next to Koyu Rim. She wants to be coached by the same coach, all that stuff. And I mean, the first scene is like, or the first scene kind of where they interact, Koyu Rim's like leaving a building and Nahito's like on the roof and it starts raining and Koyu Rim's kind of standing there like, oh, I don't have an umbrella. And Nahito like drops it off the roof just like lets it float down and Koyurim's like looking around Koyurim is really a, a sweet girl she's really at the beginning only competitive with Nahito but anyway so she drops it down and Koyurim's like thank like she kind of calls out to like you know the sky like uh thank you and uh, Nahito yells down she's like you know it's from your this is from your biggest fan I'm your biggest fan and then Nahito kind of does remember she like dances in the rain on top of the roof because she just had this interaction with her yeah. idol and it was so sweet and so pure. And that's why this drama just took you because then, and then later when they meet in person, that's when they become competitive and rivals. But that's what I mean. This drama just took you on this amazing journey of their friendship. And I would say like, sometimes they would like be doing, you know, scenes with Nahito and Beiki Jin. And I was like, can we get back to <laughs> Koyu Rim and Nahito? Like that is what I'm invested yeah. in, you know? Yeah. So the secondary romance was between Koyu Rim and Moonji Wung, who was uh, a student at their high school. And this romance is sweet as sugar. Were you rooting for them as much as Hido and Yijin? Yeah, I, I, I really loved their second lead romance. I just thought they were so cute. Um, I just loved how for Ji Wung, it was just always, always Koyu Rim from the start. Oh, you know, no. there's no contest. There's no 9-11 bombing that they have to cover. There's <laughs> no living in Russia for two years separation thing that's going to kill this relationship. They're just going to be together. Um, and I have a real soft spot for Ji Wong as well. Like, I just love, I love how this character was written and played because he just felt like, you know, like I knew a guy like that, you know, he was slightly too cool for school, but also a little bit vulnerable and just so sweet. But then obviously had, and they didn't actually go into it that much, but, you know, a slightly traumatic backstory that kind of explained why he was the way he was. Um, and she was just like, his angel, right? It was just, she was just everything that he hoped that he could get from life. And he's, you know, he wasn't a, a, a star student. He wasn't particularly studious. And, um, it was, I think he felt like he didn't deserve her, but he was going to try and get her anyway. And then, um, yeah. And when he won her and they became a couple, it was just so cute, just so, so cute. And in some ways it makes me even more annoyed. <laughs> that they could have this love that 
he could have this love for her and they would just make it work despite everything that the drama was going to throw at them um that they couldn't do that to the main couple like the main couple couldn't survive you know like a little mini storm right they were they survived everything i really love that for like ji wong it was like urim was it there was no question all the way monogamous loyal like i mean he was like the perfect boyfriend yeah perfect boyfriend I feel like you watch it and you're just like, well, you know, he's my he's my boyfriend like idol. Like he's just oh, he was lovely. Yeah, because they tried the because uh, we had the that the, she tried to do a noble sacrifice thing. Right. You know, she's like, I'm going to go and live in Russia for two years. You should forget about me. You know, we're not going to be together. And yeah. And he's like, and he's no. like, you're not doing that. You're we're going to be together. Yeah. Cause... We're going to skateboard through an airport. We're going to be together. Oh, I... <laughs> I forgot about that. You're right. Oh, God. I love him. So uh, what scene made you cry the hardest? So there were actually quite a few scenes. I had to kind of go back because obviously I've watched this drama quite a while ago. So it's actually been super enjoyable to go back and kind of like relive some of my feels. But I think one of the one of the ones that I remember just really making me ball. Uh, and, and it made me cry in a way that I just thought, like, why am I crying about this so much? This is not even like love story, which is, you know, how I would normally cry. But it's a scene in the restaurant where she's gone after winning her medal of the contestable match point uh and her mother is reporting the controversy of the match as a journalist and being her usually un- un- emotionally unavailable self um and then she's in this restaurant and then this random she congratulates her on her medal and tells her she did really well and how proud he was of her and they're the words she's she's heard from no one else that day right not her coach not not her mum anybody and she just starts to break down in tears and then i'm like I'm just sobbing. I'm sobbing with her because just she's been through so much to get to that point, um, and it's just a random stranger's words that just, you know, that people should have been saying to her that she's that she's heard. I cried at that scene too. I loved it. She's like trying to almost hide from the public too. She's wearing a baseball hat, yeah. and they just you know these like sweet old men are just like, hey, you did great. Oh. Yep, it's also because she was expecting to be uh, criticized, right? Because that's yeah. how that's all she'd had all day. So she was trying to be incognito because she was like, I don't really want to hear any more. Anybody else tell me that I've done wrong and that I don't deserve this medal and I've right. robbed it from the darling of this sport. Um, so she was like bracing herself for this random guy to basically have a go at her. And, and, and he said they gave her love. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I agree. I cried at that scene, too. So for me, we kind of touched on this really briefly, but towards the end of the jam- drama, basically, we had mentioned uh, Ko Yurim's family was was not doing well. Um, I think they were in danger of losing their restaurant. And Ko Yurim knew she needed money. She had to go somewhere to fence that was going to pay her as much money as she could get. And that was in Russia. Um, and it was really a hard decision, obviously, because she had fenced for South Korea for a long time. And she knew that the backlash was going to be terrible, but she wanted to make the best decision for her family. I mean, it was a really, really was kind of a selfless decision. So she, um, yeah, so she goes goes to Russia. And there's, you know, this, they set it up where the, you know, there's finally like a time jump where they're a little bit older. And Nahito has to fence against 
Ko Yu Rim, who's now Julia Ko, um, for the Olympics, I think. It was either some, do you remember? It was some sort of big match. Um, Okay. And so the lead up to this match had been like heavily covered in the press and journalists had been like twisting quotes um, of both of the women to make it seem like they were saying, you know, really negative things about each other. And at the time, their communication, their private communication between the two of them had really kind of fallen off. They've, um, I think it was really, it was really hard for, for Koyu Rim to be in Russia all alone. And I think, you know, she kind of stopped responding and it was, it was just tough. They had, they had a little bit of a, of a separation. And so when they finally met to fence each other, you know, there was like some tension. There was, you know, there had been, they'd been reading the reports of what the other was saying and um, yeah, the mat and the match was tough. The that ma- was really emotional. Every time one or the other scored a point, they do like the yelling thing. They're sweaty. They're tired. And when it was over, and Nahido was the victor, they just stood on the piece for a long time. And Nahido didn't normally. She would like rip off her helmet and she would like celebrate really loudly. And and she didn't. And they just stood there and they. St- they you stare at each other and of course there's like music swelling you know the the score was beautiful of the drama and then the the women they both tore off their helmets raced toward each other and embraced and they're like crying on each other's shoulders and they're saying i'm sorry and i missed you and i loved you it was just this like explosion of emotion between the two of them because they were like i never said that about you and the other's like i never said that about you and they're just like cuz like nothing could really no matter what, the separation, the the media, nothing could break up how they actually felt about each other. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Yeah. And I bawled. And I cried over the scene more than any of the romance scenes in the drama. Like, this was the scene. You know, there's like a breakup scene between Beiki Jin and Nahito, but it was it was this fencing scene where I cried the hardest. Yeah. I cried. And where I actually, like, f- yeah, I felt like physical pain in my heart. Oh, I... <laughs> I cried at this scene too. I think I was also, I think the drama did really well in presenting as like they were ultimately, you know, professional athletes and they had a job to do, right? So they kind of had to hold all this stuff back and be the best that they could be and they could still compete uh, and really show up and be the best that they could and and then just let rip. It was just like all their emotions came out and they were... You're right. They still competed. They still did their jobs. But in the end, they're going to, you know crawl on each other's shoulders and it was just it was really beautiful it was beautiful to see them kind of reconnect okay so what scene made you laugh the most um i'll go first on this one so we mentioned it really briefly so at the beginning of the drama nahido is trying to get expelled from her school so she can be transferred to another school and it's because her mom won't transfer her basically so like the only way she can be transferred is to get kicked out which is just like it sounds like dramatic and it is but it's funny like the beginning of this drama is truly hilarious as it gets later on it gets like you know heavier and stuff like a lot of dramas but um the beginning actually kind of reminded me a little bit of the humor of i am not a robot i thought it was pretty like smart humor there was some physical humor that was really funny just if you like the humor in that i would say the beginning of this drama is similar humor so she's trying to get kicked out of school and so she's like i gotta get in a fight Right. And so she finds out where this fight's going to be or something. I don't remember like all the details. All I remember is she gets there and she's going to be like attacked. And so she whips out an umbrella to fight with. And all the like, 
I don't know, gang members that are looking at her like, what the heck is she doing? She's like this high school student and she's holding an umbrella and then she like whips their butts with it. Like she's just like with this umbrella and it's like really a funny scene. Like it's it's coded as funny and it is, it's hysterical that she's like whipping them (laughs) (laughs) with this umbrella as if it were a sword. And I laughed so hard. I almost couldn't believe I was watching this. I was like, this is a hysterical scene. And again, just proved how so funny Nahito is. She's so like resourceful. She's quick witted. And she also is very impulsive. Yeah, that was a great scene. A really well choreographed as well. It was really funny. Yes. Really funny. Yes. Yeah. So my my scene, this is a really small one actually, um, that I almost forgot, but it's um it's between um, Becky Jin's parents. Uh, so obviously, as, as Megan's intro said, uh, they were Chabels, um, but his dad lost money. And so uh, they had to separate uh, because um, he didn't, he was going to be the one holding all the debt and he wanted to kind of free his family to not be responsible for that debt so they couldn't live apart and i kind of like it a little bit because it flips the trope the chable trope so the chable trope of of kind of two people being together in a in a in a maybe financially advantageous marriage but they don't necessarily love each other but um these two are like teenagers with each other they're so lovely lovely <laughs> and they've been separated so they're like really really miss each other and becky Jin is in the middle of his parents basically gushing over each other telling each other how much they miss and he's just absolutely dying right because he's an adult <laughs> and he's in the middle of listening to his mum like coo over his dad and like his dad like you know giving it all back and he's just like oh like just, just put me somewhere else anyway else but here in the middle of my parents like uh, it was just so hilarious and uh and Nandu hook does good comedy he knows he does good comedy and in this scene he really he just he just emotes that 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 embarrassment so well uh i loved it <laughs> and i and i love the kind of like running gag about how nahito couldn't spell oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i loved that that was so so funny because every time he would like read something she wrote and she'd have a misspelling, he would just crack up. Yeah. Like he he thought it was like at one point he had fallen asleep on his doorstep and it had been like a terrible day. He like failed an interview and he fell asleep. So Nahito put like a blanket over him and then she put a note that was basically like, I failed an interview today. Do not disturb. But she spelled it like distrub or something yeah. I, I mean i don't know because it was it was translated but it's just so funny because he picks up the note and he knows who wrote it <laughs> that's it's not you know because <laughs> he can't spell it's so funny it's so funny i think the subtitles actually did a really good job of kind of translating that joke for us because like you said we didn't know you know how things were misspelled but they right definitely... i don't actually know how she spelled it right but it you're right the the translation still made it just as funny yeah. like it doesn't really matter you know but but it was so funny Okay, so of course I'm. <laughs> when I wrote these questions, I like now I'm taking like a turn. <laughs> um, so the nine eleven terrorist attacks in New York that plays a large, fairly large role in this drama towards the end. So actually, let me set this up. One thing that I don't think we fully explained, or maybe we were vague about, is like why Baki Jin and Nahito broke up. And I feel like we're vague because I think the drama in a way made it vague. They made it seem like they couldn't overcome distance. And there was a lot of like Baki Jin saying, well, 
my job is really stressful and I don't want to put that on you. So I think we should break up. And it was just a little. Yeah. And he kept, he kept apologizing. Right. And she was like, I don't, I don't want you to keep apologizing to me for not being here when I need you. And there was a set of flashbacks of her. They were about to take a trip together and then his job interrupted it because he had some life news thing that he had to cover and then there were so many like shots flashback shots of her being in restaurants waiting for him or being in the cinema waiting for him and then he didn't turn up or got called away or you know and so so we had to kind of they tried to build up this story of him always disappointing her and not being there for her physically right but it was like i don't know but and so I guess the, the the straw that broke the camel's back was basically 9-11 happened. He was sent to New York, which was always a little crazy to me because he was like a new journalist. And you're sending like the newer journalist to New York to cover the like that also was a little nuts to me. But that's not the point. Um, so did you have feelings about this Megan as an American and Sarah as a Brit? So uh, I didn't I didn't really like it um, as a, and it felt like a a plot device. I mean, I, you already know I didn't really like the ending. I mean, I'm generally pretty yeah. over K-dramas using going abroad as some kind of time slip contrivance, right? At the end. Oh of my the God. Just, like, just, right. Please, please just stop it. Unless it, unless it really narratively makes sense. But anyway, they use this as a reason why Eugene couldn't be there for Hido. Um, but I just didn't feel like it made sense to me. It didn't feel authentically right. So weirdly, I used to be a Reuters journalist. Um, and actually just shortly before I quit, I was in the Beijing bureau and I quit just before 9-11. I didn't miss it at all because I wasn't a very good journalist and I'm, <laughs> I'm really not a bloodhound with a news story. But the only time I missed being back in the newsroom was actually when 9-11 happened because, you know, it was that feeling of being like, wow, you could have been the epicenter of a huge story. Like the newsroom is... It's a very exciting place to be in a story like that when it breaks. Uh, and I get mm -hmm. what the drama was trying to do with this. Like, they were trying to show us how much trauma Yijin was having to bear. And he was the holder of all these really terrible stories. And that he had no space to really be there for Hido. But, um, I don't know. Maybe I was just not able to be objective by this point because I didn't enjoy the ending. But it just didn't feel authentic to me. It felt like a contrivance. Yeah. By the way, I'm also a former journalist. I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Um, <laughs> and actually, I was on my university's like TV news crew. I was a freshman uh, at a university when 9-11 happened. So at the time, like I had no idea what I was doing. And they were like, here's a camera. Go around and interview students <laughs> on the day of 9-11. Oh, wow. I was like, are you kidding wow. me? And I had to interview like the military officials, like the ROTC uh, military officials who'd like they couldn't, they knew nothing. And it was just so stupid. That's it. <laughs> I also don't think, I think I, like I'm a writer, but I don't think I'm a good journalist either. I'm just, I get too like emotional. Like if people cry in front of me, I like cry with them. <laughs> I'm like, how is that a good reporter? It's not. But anyway, so I didn't really like this 9-11 storyline. And I'm not saying that like other countries obviously can't use the event. It was, it was, it was obviously a worldwide uh, like event, but this felt really contrived like you said it felt like <laughs> like using almost like 9-11 as an excuse for like why like a south korean reporter can't be with his girlfriend is very <laughs> weird do you know what i mean yeah like it, i it wasn't like i know he went to 
cover the story. And I understand that he felt compelled to like tell these stories. Like there obviously were Koreans. I actually just visited the memorial um, very recently. And there's obviously pictures of everyone who died in the tax. There are tons of Korean names on those walls. And I know that there were a lot of Koreans in that building. There were, there were nation, tons of nationalities, you know, in the, the World Trade Centers. But it's still just, I don't know, it felt a little like icky. I didn't really like watching him like walk through a hospital with like people bandaged because I'm, I don't know, it just was a little, a little weird. And I guess I was sort of like, I just didn't. Yeah, I, I think like you, I wasn't buying it by that point. Yeah, I think maybe the drama was also trying to bookend a little bit because it started with IMF and it kind of ended with 9-11 and it was trying to trying to refer to this period that was obviously, you know, worldwide things were happening that had ripple effects on people and young people growing up in South Korea. And I think that's what the drama was kind of trying to say. But again, I, I, I don't feel like it really landed. Yeah, yeah. And I really wonder how that played with 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 a South Korean audience. Like I I am really curious how South Korea's would have would have viewed 9/11, um if they would have felt like disconnected to it or if that, do you know yeah. what I mean? I just wonder how that rang with the South Korean audience. So, yeah, so yeah, I, I I didn't love it. And I would say some of the journalistic journalistic elements of this story felt true to life and also not. I mean, it's hard to say because I was an American journalist and I was an American journalist in like 2001 to 2007 so like obviously it's a, a different time period um although close i mean um to, to this but and also I, you know i was in america this is in south korea you know i did love the idea that he had to like race to a phone to call and about how like he just had to do it anywhere he could like that it, that felt very journalistic to me like i remember being not that I never had to like race to a phone to call. There were cell phones when I was a journalist, but I remember like just having to kind of like call in information no matter where you are. Like I would be on a street with scribbled notepads calling into my editor. But then there were some things that were were, were very weird. So obviously a big part of the plot hinged on this like conflict of interest. So he was a sports reporter and she was a athlete. And this there was this whole thing about how he shouldn't date her because it was a conflict of interest. And I found that incredibly strange because all you have to do is go to your editor and say, I know her, this is a conflict of yeah. interest. And they assign someone else. Like that is a very common thing to have to say. <laughs> to say. It, I just, I don't, I don't get it. You know what I mean? That So that was the only thing that really bugged me is I couldn't understand why this was such a major plot point that he couldn't cover her events or he had to keep his relationship with her private and not tell yeah, anyone, yeah. right? Do you understand yeah, what I'm do, saying? Yeah. yeah. I just found it, I found that kind of weird too. So anyway, anything else that you want to get off your chest about this drama? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So for me, uh, I really like Sun Wang, so we haven't really covered her. Like she's, you know. I know, we should have, because yeah. she was fantastic. So she's a really great character. I loved that she had this real world weariness about her. Um, and it was obviously she such did. a contrast to the others who had this kind of much more typical youthful, you know, vibrance about them. She was. Yeah, she was like an old soul. Yeah, she right? was an old soul. Like she, like I loved the quote that she had, like where she'd said she found her life so boring. And that Ji Wong made her life fun. 
And she just really struck me as a really interesting school age character. It was really different from the usual kind. And, you know, especially she was class president. She had everything going for her. All her teachers loved her. But I just made myself, I just was really disappointed with where her arc went. It didn't go anywhere. So, you know, what actually would spark her? Like, what would be her passion? What was in store for her? And even after the time jump, I didn't feel like these questions were really answered. I didn't get, I just felt like, yeah, she didn't really get her due attention. Um, and then the cameo that I had been expecting did actually happen. So we had one, um, uh, Namdo-san's younger brother, which did kind of foreshadowed this, you know, hint of a relationship earlier on. Um, and they had Kang Hoon, who um, was in uh, a couple of dramas that I've watched, actually, The Red Sleeve and also um, You Are My Spring. And, uh, and I really liked him in in those so i was expecting him to do a bit more but he just kind of turned up and said a couple of lines and i know i guess maybe that's what cameos only do like they just want to turn up and, and and say a couple of lines but you know it was it was uh it was just a bit disappointing because if you're going to get a cameo then give him something else to do or give her something better to go with you know i just felt like her ending was a bit of a damp squib yeah i appreciate that you mentioned that he, i didn't i didn't recognize him because i haven't seen the red sleeve. So thank you for mentioning that that was a cameo because I didn't know that. I agree. She was wonderful. She was like a character that made me think like she's on her last life. Yeah. On her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Her, she's her like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like what they kind of call an old soul. I, I really did love her. And I agree. I I wanted to see her, you know, find a stronger passion. I mean, I do think kind of activism was really yeah. what what really interested her. And I would have liked her to see her have more of an active role in that at the end yeah because like what does she end up doing kind of being i don't know it's like a production runner or something she just felt like she kind of ended up doing being how she was at school kind of being highly competent at something she that didn't spark her at all and you know yeah for which she felt right. no real love for so um yeah kind of disappointed in that for her because they did actually give her screen time they built her character out we came to really love her and then it was like mm -hmm. and that's it that's all it's there um she was lovely yeah and then the second thing for me was the mother-daughter relationship like i don't think this drama went into it enough especially even with this you know this narrative arc that we were talking about having the older nahido um i thought that another reason why they might have had it was that they could then show an element of reconciliation between the mother and daughter because this was quite a toxic relationship um and i actually think and then they didn't right they didn't use that they didn't actually explore that relationship either in the flashback scenes or in the modern uh scenes and i actually think that right. they let her off the hook a bit uh the mum i think she got a much more sympathetic hearing than i think that she deserved like i think she was definitely more portrayed as being a working mum who had no choice and that Nahido was just wayward and ungrateful. And I just don't feel like uh, this relationship got got resolved in it. And it could have it could have been because actually they built a lot of it up in the in the beginning of the story. So I think for me, this is just like an example of ultimately it felt like I don't know, it just felt like the writer had some things to say and had built building blocks to say them, but then somehow at the end just dropped the ball on so many mm -hmm. of these strands. Um, yeah. So I totally agree with this because it was weird as the like adult Nahito seemed to have like a 
good sort of relationship yeah, with their mother, like a weird the, one. They had the scene in the bed, didn't they, where they were in the hospital, was it? Where they... But where was the scene where they kind of like reckoned? I mean, they were definitely at odds. Yeah. Like they were not close. No. So like, where was the point where they kind of came together and understood each other? We never got that scene. Uh, and then lastly for me, just a special shout out to Coach Neem, played by Yang Chan Mi. I loved her fight. She's in uh, Itaewon class, right? You saw her. You've you've watched that one, right? Haven't you? Um, but I loved her fire and her energy. I thought her character was just brilliant. I loved her. I so I loved her. She co- the coach was one of my favorite parts of the drama. She was fantastic. And I was watching another drama that she was in, and now I cannot remember what it was, and that's going to bother me because <laughs> I meant to write it down. I just but I, she was just in like another drama, and oh, I was one that like, you've just watched. Oh, yeah, maybe it was Military Prosecutor Doberman. I don't know. I'll have to look it up again. But, I, you know, she's such a fun actress. I think she can kind of do anything. And she was such a, a special coach. And I, I mean, I just have to be honest, like, I love that it was a female coach. And, um, you know, pushing these these female athletes. I just thought everything about that was was really special. And she had a really wonderful... Um, she was well. She was a wonderful role model for Nahito, more so than her own mother. Exactly. She had that kind of. She was actually, in some ways, the mother figure for Nahito during this period of her life, right? Yeah, and then a mother figure that like worked with Nahito because I do think Nahito did well with like kind of like a tough love. Yeah. Um, I just think her mom was like absent <laughs> rather than like tough love. Do well, you know it was mean? just to- it was like toxic love, you know. For me, it was just yeah, just that she just. She never said, you've done really well. I mean, she spent the whole drama basically telling her that she couldn't be a fencer, that she wasn't going to be a fencer, that she was going to fail at fencing. She should just give it up. And then when she Mm -hmm. was successful, she couldn't celebrate that. And she was, you know, obviously she had really missed her father and had not really processed that grief and hadn't, you know, she had a really heart-rending scene where where she was talking about how she she had no one to talk to about her dad because the only other person was her mum. And her mom didn't want to talk about her dad with her. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I know. I know. That was, it was, it was a weird, it was a weird relationship that I, I didn't feel, you know, reconciled. But it was just, unre- yeah, unresolved and just, just too many, too many question marks at the end of the drama. Uh, yeah. Right. But I think we've established that we still recommend it. <laughs> yes. So I know we had, but I mean, that's part of the part of the the podcast is like, you know, we want to talk about the good and the bad. And I think it's fun to like analyze what we didn't like about a drama. But I think even there were things we didn't like overall the drama, like we didn't like them maybe because the drama did hook us and maybe we wanted better for characters or something like with Sung Won, like we wanted better for her. Um, at the end, but she was still an absolutely amazing character who is worth watching. And truly, if I would say, you know, if female friendships are your thing, then this drama's for you. Yes. Like, I mean, if that is, if you like, like, say, like, be melodramatic or um, dramas like that, and you really like seeing, like, two, and, and, and this, again, this friendship had lots of depth. Yeah. You knew why they were friends yeah. because you watched their whole relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we recommend um, and... Watch this drama, Leah and Amy. Yeah, yeah, watch it and let us know if you agree with us. <laughs> so, uh, you know, to to end, we'll just talk about uh, what we're watching now. I know we 
touched a little bit on what you're watching. Yeah, so I am for the first time in my life watching four dramas currently. I'm not someone who could not quite monogamous. I don't like juggling stuff. (laughs) Uh, But there's just so many live dropping dramas at the moment that are amazing. And I felt like I had to check them out. So um, so as I already mentioned, I'm watching Happiness. That's the the one drama that is not currently airing that I'm watching but like I said I can mm-hmm. only watch that in the daytime so I've had to fill my evenings with other stuff so I've, I've started uh, Jinxed at first which um, has got Sad Cousin from Mr. Queen uh, <laughs> Nine Wu uh, who's oh, he's very dreamy in this um, but um, it's, uh... it's a kind of fancy uh, romance actually so I'd pitch it to Amy if I was pitching at you guys for this um, so it starts slightly gothy almost um so uh there's the these female shamans have um existed for generations and they give daughter they give birth to daughters who are female shamans as well um but because they are and they will tell the future by holding your hand and having flash forwards and then telling you what your future is so kings and emperors have 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 benefited from um, their fortune-telling ways, and and in present-day uh, Korea, this Chaebol has got this mother and daughter trapped in this kind of uh, penthouse flat uh, where they don't leave, and he uses them to get richer. And one day, uh, Nine Wu kind of comes across this girl, and she she realizes there's there's a whole other world out there. And she goes out and, and goes out to go and look for it. Um, but in the process, jinxes him. So that's what the title is. And so he becomes like a really un- unlucky. And it's the, the first episode is really, it's full of stuff. It's like, yeah, really crazy things happen to his life. And then we have a flash forward two years later where uh, they meet again. Um, so that's currently dropping. Uh, I don't know how it's going to... That sounds really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm go- I- I've been meaning to start it. It's really cool. I mean, it, it's kind of... Because the, the, the beginning was just so like, wow, this is like so cool. So it's kind of... Because it's obviously settling down, it's kind of slowed down a little bit. So I'm hoping it's going to pick back up again. But um, but I'm, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and then the second one, I'm, I really love So Gook. So So Gook is one of like my go-to actors. If he's in a drama, I'm going to watch it. Uh, so he's currently in Cafe Minam Dang. Uh, which is on Netflix and he's uh, playing again another shaman um, but a kind of so he he's pretending to be a shaman so he actually used to be a criminal profiler um, and he's using it's a bit like Sherlock you know so he's using things that he's found he knows from his criminal profiling kind of uh, uh, genius oh! to then pretend <laughs> that he can predict, he can hear the spirits telling him that this person has had an affair with his secretary and then threatened her with her job. But actually what's happened is that he's got a sister who's like this master hacker and together they've kind of found out all of this stuff uh, about this guy and then, um, you know, but he he, he kind of sells it as, as a shaman and then he's incredibly good looking. So all of these girls turn up to his cafe, his cafe Minamdang, to uh, get their fortunes told. Um, and then the female lead is Oh Yoon So, who was in uh, Mad About Each Other, or Mad for Each Other. Yes, sorry. I love uh, her. So she's great. So she mm-hmm. plays like a really kick-ass female detective and, and she just obviously is deeply suspicious of Soren Gook and his whole supposedly shaman stuff. So that's all kicked off and it's uh so it's really fun at the moment i'm really enjoying that uh so i would highly recommend 
both of those two I I have been meaning yeah. to, and I think I am going to start them soon. And then the fourth, which you guys I won't talk too much about because it's it's Money Heist, so it's obviously the Korean version of oh. of, of Money Heist. Okay. Uh, but uh, again, I'm I'm really really enjoying seeing um, Yuji Tae. I haven't seen since uh, Hila, so he's got this. I haven't seen photos of him. He's got these kind of like almost like 70s glasses on but because he's Yuji Tay and he's playing the professor I don't know if you've watched the original Money Heist but he's playing mm-hmm. the professor and he just looks so so good despite these 70s yeah. glasses so I'm just kind of like and then Parky So from Prison Playbook and uh, uh, Squid Game him. is playing Berlin so the two of them are kind of like uh, you know the people that I'm watching I love Parky So so much <laughs> yeah no that's awesome what about you? I am still watching tomorrow. I'm I'm being very slow because it's just been crazy. We were like traveling. It's just really hard. Um, so I think it's going to take me a bit to get through it, but I love it. Like Rowoon is amazing. Amy and I are both watching it and we are going to be podcasting on it. I think just, just her and I. And then of course I'm watching Kin Porsche because I'm obsessed. <laughs> and so Kin Porsche is the Thai mafia BL insanity. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's just absolutely insane. And I love it. And Leah and I are both like completely hooked. Uh, As soon as it's over, we're going to be doing um, an episode on it because we both have like a lot to get off our chest. And I think that's over like this weekend. I was was going to say when it it feels like you guys have been watching Kin Porsche for ages. I know because it's one episode a a week. They're killing us. Like, you know, I'm like spoiled by K-dramas, which is like two episodes a week if I'm if I'm watching it currently airing. But Ken Porsche has been one episode a week and I'm dying. And it's like, um, like, like an hour. That's it. Not even like an hour and 15. I'm like, I'm dying. But um, yeah, so we'll be we'll be doing that. And so I'm hoping to start. I think the jinxed um, jinx lover or jinxed at first. It's because I love Na and Wu so much. But I've been seeing a lot of good things about Cafe Minam Dong. So, um, and I actually have not seen So and Gook in a drama yet, which I know is like horrifying because I love, like, I love him. And every like, clip I've seen, I adore yeah. him. Um, and I've also seen interviews of him, like, obviously as himself. And he's incredibly charming just as himself. And so um, I'm, I really. I want to check it out. So I will, but that's what I'm doing right now. Like I said, summer is hard, man. It's like taking away my pajama time. The kids need to go to, back um, to school. <laughs> yeah, the kids need to go. <laughs> and it's going to be a while, but that's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, anyway, I want to say thank you so much, Sarah. Like, thank you so much for doing this because this was really fun. I loved talking to you about 2521. Oh, thank you so much for asking me back. I'm always happy to come and, and talk to you about K-dramas. So thank you very much for uh, yeah inviting me back. It's been really nice because I've seen it's been a while since I watched it. So actually, it's been really, really lovely to relive it and hash it over with you. Same. It felt good to have those those really warm feels that I felt when I was watching it. So it was really fun to talk it over. So yeah, I'm sure you'll be on again. Like, you just, just wait, just wait a little bit and <laughs> there'll be another drama <laughs> that we'll need to talk to you about. So, you know, this is not the last you'll see of Sarah. So make sure, you're, oh, tell, tell everyone your socials. Uh, so I'm at Drama This on Instagram and at Twitter and also kdramathis.com.
for my blog, which I'm, I write reviews um, and I'm trying to catch up. I've got about five to do, but I have blogged about 2521. So if you wanted to read the full review of my thoughts, please go on my website. Thank you. Yeah. And she's very active on Instagram. So obviously I will link her when this episode goes live, but I do recommend following her on Instagram. She posts a lot of news and her thoughts on currently airing dramas. So yeah, please, please uh, check her out. So again, thank Thank you. you. (laughs) And uh, until next time, Anyang. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!